We are in the first week of Advent, and today we're going to talk about love. And so, because we can't light candles in here, I'm going to electronically, by way of technology, light the first candle of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this week begins the first week of Advent. It's a time of preparation as we await the arrival of Christmas and and the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But also, family, it is a reminder. It It is a sobering reminder of the imminent return of Jesus. Because, listen, not only did he come, but he is coming again. How many of you know that to be true? He is indeed. So we're going to talk about love today. I'm just curious, how many of you were born in here 1985 or after? Let me see your hands. 1985, we have a relatively young church. 19, you guys might not know nothing about this. I see your hand back there. You guys might know nothing about this. Back in 1985, that was my heyday. That was in my prime back in 1985. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in my prime. Don't get it twisted now. There was a song written by Huey Lewis on the news called The Power of Love. It's a great song. Listen to these lyrics. The power of love is a curious thing. Makes a one man weep and another man sing. Change a hawk to a little white dove more than a feeling. That's the power of love. First time you feel it, it might make you sad. The next time you feel it, it might make you mad. But you'll be glad, baby, when you found that's the power of love makes the world go round. Don't need money. Don't take fame. Don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. We're going to talk about love today. I, I have to tell you, I think love is the most powerful force in the universe. I think it is the most powerful force known to man. I believe that love is an entity, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. It's the most powerful force you can ever encounter. Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he says, Now exist these three, faith, hope, and love, they all abide, but the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. We sang it a minute ago. I want to say it again. The greatest of these is love because love is eternal. Love never ends. When we look at the broad theme of God's love in the Bible, we see his great love in action from cover to cover. And you know, in the, in the old Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, that really God's love broke down into two different categories, and it all broke, it all really pointed back to the love of God, all right? So, so it was broken down in two different categories. In the New Testament, in the Greek, the Greeks, with their reasoning and their logic, found a way to break love down into four separate categories. One was called storage love, which was the love that a parent would feel for his, his son or his or her daughter. Um, 
The second was phileo love. That's a, a friendship kind of love that you would share with a friend. The other is eros love, and that love is, is a sensual kind of sexual love. All right? And then the fourth one is agape love. That is a, um, a spiritual love, if you will. The Greeks broke it down into four different categories of love. I want to talk to you today about the only real love. I want to talk to you today about agape love, God's love, God's uncommon, unconditional, supernatural love. Because it's out of God's love that we experience his joy, we experience his peace, and we experience his hope. I don't believe that there's nothing that should be placed at a higher value than the premium of God's multifaceted love for us, in us, and through us. In my life, I've been blessed to be surrounded by, by people who genuinely love me. I've never had a question on whether or not I receive the best of their love. People that, I, that matter most to me, like my wife and my, my children, my family, my extended family, my brothers and sisters, and, and you, my church family. I've never had to question authenticity of love. But now let's be true. Let's be real. Love isn't true love until it's been tested. Sure got quiet in there. Love isn't true love until it's been tested. You never know the depth of your love until it's been tested. You know, my father and I, um, we haven't always gotten along the best. I, my father was a hard man. He was... He was straight to the point. He didn't, there was no fluff in my father the way that he raised me. I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's funny because even now around my dad, my dad is, he just turned 79. I believe if I made my dad mad enough, he probably could still take me out. He's a man's man. My dad's, my dad's ring finger, his ring finger will fit over my thumb. Big man, big hands. Never had to question his love for me. Never had to question if I would have a house to live in or clothes on my back or shoes on my feet or bread on the table. Never had to question my father's love for me. And the older I got, the more I realized that my father and his love for me just had a, a totally different way of expressing it. And so I'll tell you something else too. The older I got, the older I get still, the smarter my mom and dad become. Yeah, if you, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when you're coming up, you're like, man, when I have, if I ever get married and have kids, I will never do that to my kids. Uh-huh. How's that working out for you? <laughs> right? The older I get, the smarter my dad becomes. Why? Because in the end, our love, our time-tested, battle-tested, authentic love has prevailed. I'm convinced today, family, that one of the greatest needs in our culture is for people to know that they are authentically and genuinely loved. Here's a statement I want to leave with you. I want you to write this down because I think it's important. People who are uncertain of love are uncertain in life. People who are uncertain of love are uncertain in life. When people are unsure about 
about love, true love, it affects every aspect of their lives, of our lives, professionally, relationally, spiritually. Every aspect of life is, is affected if there's no solid, stable, and certain foundation of love. You've, you've seen people, maybe you've even, you've even been one of these people from time to time in your life. People who are deprived or, or depraved of love do some crazy and destructive things. Think about this. First, they often look for love in all the wrong places. And if they're a strong personality and they've been starving for love and affection, often what happens if they're not careful, they'll begin manipulating relationships to fit whatever their bent is. Why? Because they're starving for attention, they're starving for love, and this is the only way that they can get what they want. If a person is seeking love and and, and they don't possess a strong personality, what can often happen is, is it could lead them to someone who possesses a dominant personality, and when that happens, the end result is often compromise or victimization. Love. It's, you know, every single one of us in, in one form or, or, varying, or one degree or another struggle with something. And knowing that we're loved and affirmed by someone in a genuine way helps to get us through that struggle in life. If we are uncertain of love, we will be uncertain in life. So here's the challenge. Our human love is not perfect. It's flawed. And so our natural tendency is to project on God our view of his perfect love through the lens of our flawed love that we've encountered in our life's experiences. The disappointments we've experienced in relationships. Are there with those who, who should know how to love and care for us but either don't or can't for one reason or another? And if we're not careful, family, it, become, it can become easy for us to equate God's love to our dysfunctional human experience of love. And if we're not careful, we'll approach the love of God the way we often approach human relationships. We'll try to work harder to earn it. We'll posture ourselves to try to win God's affection because we believe, we'll grow to believe that that's what it takes for him to love us. God's love is nothing like ours. Human love is flawed and it's fickle, but God's love is not. And there's something powerful and something incomparable about God's love that continues to draw us back. Back to the the unflawed love of our Heavenly Father. Back to the only unchanging love. Back to his uncommon, unconditional, supernatural love love for us, that same love that overtook us, overwhelmed us on the day we were born again. I don't know about you, but I can remember the day when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I can remember walking away, and I can remember subsequent days when I returned back to his love. How many, of you under, how many of you know that, that feeling where you just, you just get overwhelmed, overshadowed with the love of God in the midst of your circumstance? How many of you can relate to that? <laughs> you see, our real life began on our spiritual birthday. 
when we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you as a follower of Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you cannot know the true love that our Father has for us. And the text we're going to take a look at today breaks down, it breaks down in two parts, really two sections, and, and both pertain to God's great love for us. The first talks about how God freely shares his love with us, and the second one courageously challenges us to share the love of God in us with others. So God's love is a shared love. That's my first point. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. How many of you have your Bibles? Let me see your hands. Some warriors in here. Now, let me, I haven't said this for a long time. Let me say it today. You know, you ought not go into a battle without your sword. Right? Sword of the Spirit is the word of God. You should always have your word with you when you come into a place where you're going to be challenged to have your word with you. Somebody ought to say amen about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So for those of you who are disobedient today, we're going to put the words on the screen for you, all right? Why don't you drop down to verse 4, or verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John. Here's what John writes. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Everybody say God. Everybody didn't say it. I need to participate in the audience today. Everybody say God, God is, is love. love. That's right. Say it like you mean it. Because God is love. And in this love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. I'll talk about that word in a minute. A propitiation for our sin. Beloved, God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The first aspect of God's love for us is a family kind of love. This love is a product of our new birth. It's where, where God welcomes us into his family. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your sins were before you met. It doesn't matter what your past indiscretions were. You, in that moment, become washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so because of that, you no longer have to be held hostage by your past. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says that out our new birth, we become new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. We have a new identity as children of God, and our new identity becomes our new reality. We have a brand new start 
in a brand new family with a brand new name given to us by our Heavenly Father at the moment we became born again. Now I know verse 8 is spoken in the negative, but I want to flip it around to a positive because I think it underscores what I just said. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if I flip that around, it, it, really, it really boils down to everyone who continues to love does so because he knows. That word knows is gnosko in the, in the Greek. It means to know through experience. To know through experience. Everyone who continues to love does so because he knows God through experience. Watch this now. The key to loving is knowing. The key to loving is knowing. You spend time with the ones that you want to get to know the most, right? I have, <laughs> we have several couples around us, and, and a couple of them are just, they're brand new couples, right? They, they, just, they just got together. They're just starting to know each other, right? It's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's, they're just, it's like every, they're just intoxicated with each other, man. You know, you're just intoxicated. Say, hey, man, how you doing today? Oh, Jamie. That's, that's, that's all they can think about is that person that's intoxicated with love, right? It's, 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 I'm, I'm amazed at, at, at when a person wants to get to know someone, they start to spend time with them. And the more you spend time getting to know someone, the better opportunity you have to truly fall in love. <laughs> Let me say it a different way. An intimate relationship with God will produce his love in and through us because we come to know and experience him for ourselves. We come to know who he is. We come to know who he is. We come to know who he is. Who is he, Pastor Greg? God is love. Ooh. Mm. Am I the only one in here getting happy today? And the key to loving God more is, is, is to spend more time with him, getting to know him. So how do you do that? You get to know God by having a constant communication with him through prayer, by communicating with him through the scripture, through reading his word. And just as important, you get to know God by, by yoking up with other followers of Jesus Christ who are headed in the same spiritual trajectory as you are. That's how you get to know him, in the community of other Christ followers. And the more you experience God, the more you want to know him. And the more you get to know him, the more you understand his love. And this opens up our hearts for him to express his love in us and through us into the lives of others. Hmm. And as this occurs, constantly, again and again, relationship grows deeper and incomparable and inexplain, unexplainable and indescribable in its depth. Now, before I was talking to you about the intoxicating kind of drunk kind of love, you know, the two brand new couples, my wife and I have been together 35 years. We've been married 34 years. We've been together 35 years. 
pastor ain't been saved all his life. My wife and I have been, been together for 35 years. Our love has been battle-tested. The depth of my love for my wife is indescribable. The depth of my love for my wife is uncomparable. The depth of my love for my wife has become unconditional. It's a depth that goes beyond description. Nothing can adequately express the depth of my love that I have for my wife and what I believe she has for me. Listen to me. There is nothing in the world that can express the depth of God's love for you, and you will never fathom it until you start spending time with him. Hmm. Welcome to the family. It's a family love. Second, it's an active love, verses 9 and 10. It was manifested among us, Scripture tells us. Jesus Christ, God's only son, took on the form of flesh, came in human flesh, came into the world and lived among us so that through him we could have a shot of eternal life. It was manifested among us. It was active. It was initiated by God. I don't want you to miss this because, see, in our sinful fallen state, there was nothing we could do to ever earn the favor of God. Nothing we could do. When Adam sinned, he tossed all of humanity into sin so that when you and I were born, the, the relationship that Adam enjoyed in the garden that was, that was unadulterated, just him and God, that was broken in the garden through sin. And so when you and I were born, we weren't born into a perfect relationship with God. We were born into sin. We were helpless. We were hopeless. Scripture tells us, but God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still in sin, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. God's love was initiated by us, by him, so that we could experience redemption and no longer have to be eternally separated from him. And he did it because we couldn't save ourselves. God's love was, was enormously expensive. That word propitiation means satisfaction for payment. It means ransom. God's ransom for us. His love for us was expensive. It cost him everything. It cost him his son. And real love always costs something. <laughs> real love is not a cheap imitation. Real authentic love is going to cost you something. It's going to demand sacrifice, family. Because wherever love is not sacrificial, it's not authentic. Hmm. Wherever love is not sacrificial, it's not authentic. How many married people in the house can see your hands? You better keep your hand up when I, when I, when I say this. How many of you know that love is sacrificial? Somebody lifted both their hands. And I feel you, brother. Amen. Glory to God. The third aspect of God's great love for us is it's a maturing love, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 tells us that since God loves us, we ought to love one another. The word ought here in the, in the old English 
uh, it's an old English word that means to owe. Since God loves us, we, are, we now owe it. We now owe it. It's like paying it forward. We owe it to each other to love one another. And I'd say it this way. Two leading spiritual indicators of maturity in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ is one, understanding your new identity in him. And the second is living in obedience to what he's commanded us to do. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he commands us to be in loving relationships with one another. And it's a commandment that's based on the truth of, of who we are in him. Doesn't change based on our own personal feelings. Doesn't change. It's an obligation and a responsibility of the follower of Christ to continue to mature in our relationship with God and with each other. Continue to mature in our love for one another. It's the kind of maturing love that says, Greg, you can't treat this, that guy that just, that just did you wrong. You can't treat him the way that you really want to treat him on the inside. That guy that just stepped in front of you in the line as you was doing your Christmas shopping and you're in a hurry. The guy that cut you off and prevented you from making, making it through the stoplight. <laughs> the person that's driving slow in the fast lane. By the way, I don't, I, I don't know if you knew this, but, but, but watch this now. Whenever someone's riding slow in the fast lane, when you get up to the car that's doing it, it's always either a red or yellow Subaru station wagon. <laughs> I'm just saying that seems to always work out that way. But, man, you can't treat that person the way you want to treat them right now because you have to love them with the love of Christ. And here's why. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or matured in us. This is a very clear statement. There's something here that's, that's stated that's not stated. Okay? No one has seen God at any time. But the truth is we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are his representatives. And the way that, that the world sees God is through us. Ask yourself, how Christ-like are you living? What does, what's, what does the display of, of godliness in your everyday life look like? The world is watching. <laughs> and the holiday season, family, is the best time to see the, the love of God perfected in us, isn't it? Because if there's a time we're going to be short, there's going to be time where we don't have the patience. If there's a time that you need to pray, it's during the holiday season. There's not a more powerful statement of God's love than for those outside the body of Christ to see us living in the love of Christ in our daily lives. And as we practice God's love with each other, loving each other with the love of Christ, 
as we practice loving the world with the love of Christ, the love of God is perfected. It's made complete, mature, genuine in us. And the more I practice love, the more I become genuine in my love, a love that's pure, a love that's full of integrity, a love that's without hypocrisy, genuine, maturing, time-tested, battle-tested love. That said, beware of the person that tells you that they love you and they don't even know you. Beware of the person that just casually throws that word love around and they don't know who you are. Just be careful of that. I don't know who that's for. So first, God's love is a shared love. It's, it's familial. It's active and it's maturing. The second, it's a courageous love. And here's where we get the power to actively live in this love. The Holy Spirit gives, us, gives it to us. He empowers us and gives us the power to love. Look at verse 13. It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. Our ability to love is based solely on our ability to abide and flow, family, in the Holy Spirit. Mm, let me say that again. Our ability to love is based solely on our ability to abide and flow in the Holy Spirit. Listen, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what trials you're facing, what difficulties are pressing you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our ability to face and overcome our trials is directly related to our ability to flow and abide in God's Holy Spirit. Watch this now, that he has given to every single follower of Christ. That ought to make somebody happy. If you're happy, shout glory. glory. <laughs> I love it. Gives us the power to love. Let me, say, let me say this. I believe, I believe, I believe, think about this now. I believe it is impossible for two bona fide, blood-washed, redeemed, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled followers of Jesus Christ to hate each other. Don't be making excuses. <laughs> There's a difference between disliking someone and hating them. I believe it is impossible for two followers of Christ who are spirit-filled to hate each other. A good friend of mine who's gone on to be with Jesus said, you know, it's in those times where there's difficulty in relationship that somebody's got to be the mature one. Someone has to demonstrate and display the love of God in those times of adversity in relationship. The question is, will it be you? Will it be me? <laughs> That's why we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. And, and I'll even say it like this. I know I'm probably going a little over today. 
Y'all just pray for the pastor. Listen, how many times have you gotten ready to say something and you get that nudge from the Holy Spirit? And he tells you, man, don't say it, don't say it, girl, don't say it, don't say it. And you say it and all hell breaks loose because you weren't listening. Hmm. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have him living on the inside of us. God's love on the inside of us also gives us courage and the motivation to love others by sharing the gospel. Verse 14 says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The greatest way that we could ever love someone is by sharing the gospel with them. The greatest way we can demonstrate the love of God is to proclaim the gospel to them. Listen, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, there should be an urgency in our lives to see the lost people of this world come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lance, you can bring your team up. Our lives are changed because of, of the Father's great love for us, family. I don't want you to miss this. The true reason for Christmas, the true reason for the season is not the giving and the receiving of gifts. Those things are important. Christmas Day is designed to remind us to celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, God's greatest gift to us. Because before we could be redeemed, Jesus had to die. But before Jesus could die, he had to come and be born one of us so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for us. Christmas is that simple. Don't make it more complex than it is. Please don't get caught up in the Christmas hype. Thinking that you have to give gifts because that's what you're supposed to do. Don't lose sight of what Christmas really is all about and get caught up in the commercialism of the world. Don't go into debt trying to spend money that you don't have. <laughs> My debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. We just sang it, didn't we? If you're going to go into debt, go into debt for that. Be indebted to Jesus Christ with your life. So this year, I want you to, to give the gift that keeps on giving, family. Let's make Christmas about God's love for us. Let's make Christmas about the good news of Jesus Christ and the love that Jesus has for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that we might have life. That's the love of God for us. Pray with me. God, I am reminded and thankful that this time of the year can be hectic, frustrating. It's not a joyous time for everyone, but it should be. 
But I thank you that in the midst of the hustle, the midst of the chaos of this season, we can come to a place in you of solitude where we understand that the real reason for the season is your love. Out of your love flows joy and peace and hope. And may we experience all of these things during this season, I pray in Christ's name.